And now it is time for We Are Just Christians live from Savona Church in Port St. Lucie. Here are your hosts, Mike Schmidt and Gary Jones. Good morning, gentlemen. Good morning morning. and welcome to We Are Just Christians. We are very grateful for your attention today and the fact that you've tuned into the show. We appreciate it very much and hope you can stay with us for the next hour. We're going to be on until 10 o'clock Eastern time here on WPSL. Lord willing. Lord willing and all around uh, the world on the Internet. If you're tuning in there, we would we do appreciate that. Some of you are listening perhaps by podcast recording and we thank you for that. Leave a leave a comment if you can and let us or let's just let us know by text message that you're listening. Uh, we like to hear that or any questions you might have that come up. We'd be glad to hear about those. This is a live call in show. And uh, here in just a moment, after we talk, get finished talking about what the show is about, I'm going to give you the numbers uh, and the information to how to reach us here on, w- on We Are Just Christians. We, this show is about New Testament Christianity, being just a Christian in today's world where everybody is uh, part of some group and so forth, and where people in religion even like to follow the customs and traditions of human beings and men, rather than, or in addition to, God's Word. And so we are focused on the New Testament, on the Bible, as a means of understanding the will of God. And that's what we're going to teach. So if you call in, there's probably different answers can be given to questions. We're going to always try to focus our answer on what the Bible says about that subject. So we're going to try to give you some scriptures to go on if we can. If not, we'll look some up and later on study that and get back with you about it. We're going to give you the scriptures. You can look at them yourself, read them. It's meant to be read and understood by ordinary people, not just by so-called clergymen. And uh, you can understand what God had to say there. Make up your own mind about that. That's how the show works. That's the premise of the show. We believe that the Bible was intended to be reproduced, recreated in every century as time goes on. It is a book written in a way that is eternal and cross-cultural intended to be used by people to know how to live. And so the principles of reality, of right and wrong, morality, of of what pleases God, what doesn't, of righteousness, all these things are timeless and they're found in the New Testament. So that's what the show's about. We'd like to hear your calls and comments. You don't have to be a believer to call in. In fact, we would love it if you call in if you're not a believer and you want to question either some of the things that we're saying or question the Bible itself. We'd be glad to hear what you have to say, and we make you this promise. We're not going to argue with you. We're going to disagree, perhaps. We, we don't know about that, but we might disagree. But if so, we're going to give you the last word uh, this morning so you don't have to feel like we're taking advantage of you. Anyway, you can reach We Are Just Christians at 772-340-1590. 772-340-1590 is the call-in number right there at the station or pass you through to us here at our church building. Uh, we do this show over Skype, and uh, we can have a conversation. We'll try to take into account the little lag that exists in that process and not try to step on you too much. So if we ask you to repeat yourself, it's only because sometimes there's a, a lag and a cutoff. We appreciate your patience in that. Also, you can reach us by text message. My name is Mike Schmidt, by the way. I'm the preacher and one of the elders uh, for the church here, and the other host is Gary Jones. How you doing, Gary? I'm doing fine this morning, Mike. Sitting quietly over there, and we'll. But Gary, Just Gary, look, also, looking over material. That, yes, uh, uh, he, he uh, 
lets me and my big mouth introduce the show. So that's how that works. But in the event, we both have text numbers, and you can reach either one of us either during this show or during the week. My text number is 772-260-6120, 772-260-6120. And Gary's is very similar, 772-260-6220. So we'll be glad to text you. We can sometimes respond during the phone. I mean, during the show, uh, and sometimes we can respond uh, uh, to you later in the week. Depends on how that goes, and you can text us anytime. So that's how you get a hold of us: seven seven two three four zero fifteen ninety or one of the text numbers. Uh, looks like we have a uh, caller on the line this morning already, Gary. Uh, are you there, Jerry? Uh, good morning, Mike. Good morning, Gary. Thank you for taking my call. I was wondering about. Uh, I understand this is the uh, third Sunday of, of uh, is it Lent or is it Pentecost? And uh, the, the terms, uh, you know, Pentecost, Lent, and Advent, uh, if you just barely, briefly, I'd like to get those three terms uh, so I understand them. Uh, I, I hope my question is not too vague. And, no. Uh, so Pentecost, Lent, and Advent, and uh, just very briefly, uh, so I got these my mind, and I'd like to listen off. Oh, Mike, if they'll be okay. That's great, Jerry. I appreciate you calling today. Well, you know, uh, words. Here we go, words. We're going to look at each of those three words. Uh, I'm a big proponent of understanding what how words are used and what they mean, because, of course, you can't understand the Bible until you understand what words are and what they mean. You can't just make them mean anything you want to. Some words, we have a kind of a saying here that I use, and I think Gary believes the same thing, that we like to call call Bible things by Bible names. So if, if the Bible gives a name or describes some particular concept or some particular thing or an event, we use the Bible word, not one that's made up in tradition or some other human writing. For example, we don't call the Lord's Supper here communion. We don't call it the Eucharist. Because the Bible never calls it the Eucharist. The Bible has two terms, two words, two ideas that it talks about the Lord's Supper. One is the Lord's Supper. Paul refers to that in 1 Corinthians 11. And then the other one in 1 Corinthians uh, 10 is communion. So we refer to that thing, that Lord's Supper, as either communion or the Lord's Supper, not Eucharist. You can look at the definition of Eucharist. It's a Greek word meaning, you know, good gift. Maybe the Lord's Supper is a good gift, but that's a man-made term. Uh, We don't call our worship the Mass because the Bible never calls New Testament worship the Mass. calls it worship or or service, that kind of thing. Uh, And assembly, mostly it calls it the assembly, which is what we usually call it. So we believe in using Bible words to describe Bible things. Now let's take these three terms here, Pentecost, Lent, and Advent. Only one of those is found in the Scripture, and that's the word Pentecost. And I'm going to take that one maybe last. Lent is not found in Scripture at all, and yet it's a... And it's funny how the how the world, how world um, human religions and traditions tend to emphasize things oftentimes that the Bible does not, and de-emphasize things that the Bible 
emphasizes. It's, that's human nature. That's what Jesus says in Mark 7, that the traditions eventually replace, because we prefer our traditions, our ideas over God's ideas, seemingly, and so they kind of replace them. But this, the idea of Advent, Advent, as far as I know, and since I'm not an expert on these religious terms, I, I know about them from reading and studying them, but we don't use them here. Advent refers to the season or time preceding the birth of Christ. The word Advent means coming into or coming into something. So the idea of Christ coming into the world, this time we call pre-Christmas, you know, the 12 days of Christmas or whatever, that season, maybe the month before, is called Advent. And I think some religions have Advent calendars where they have a calendar to check off the days till Christmas and you give a little gift each day and so forth and so on. And Gary and I are not real familiar with that, only from yeah. just from hearing a bit, because because that's not part of our religion. Why? Because we don't like the coming of Christ, no, or because we don't believe in the birth of Jesus, no. That's not the reason. The reason is because it's not found in the New Testament that we should do something special in the days leading up to an anniversary of the birth of Christ. Nor is there anything in the Bible about having some kind of special celebration about the birth of Christ. So whatever. Whatever religions do, whatever religion you may be a part of that you're, if you're listening, whatever your religion does to celebrate the birth of Christ as a special holiday is something that people have made up. It isn't something that's found in the Bible. People have invented those ideas and said God said to do this or some other the way they may present it. So that's what Advent is, Jerry. It is the season of the coming of Christ usually around his birth. And then Lent is something that developed centuries after Christ uh, by, the, by the Roman Catholic Church, or I, you could even, if you want to be probably, some people would say the proto-Roman Catholic Church, the beginning of that. But uh, Lent is this season of preparation for Another holiday that's made up by human beings, Easter. You see, the Bible doesn't tell us anything special to do on the anniversary of Christ's crucifixion. And we're coming up on that. The Bible tells us what to do about remembering the death of Christ. And because he was resurrected, therefore, the resurrection and that's the weekly communion, our Lord's Supper, is to be done, Paul, uh, Jesus says, in remembrance of me and in remembrance of his body and blood that were sacrificed on the cross or given on the cross. So the, Jesus tells us what to do about his death. His death, burial, and resurrection. And resurrection, if you look at the whole event. And yet people will push that to the background, push push the weekly observance of the Lord's Supper or the communion to the background. Some only do it every six months, some once a year, some just whenever the notion strikes them. And you can see this in almost all of the religions, Protestant religions and, and others. And yet they emphasize things like Easter a lot when the Bible says nothing about what to do about an annual celebration. Church historians are unanimous that there was no mention of any annual festivals in the New Testament that Christians were keeping just isn't there that came on centuries later and so um, Lent is 
is a hot is a period of time. What is it? Forty days, I think. Uh, it's supposed to. I, I don't know. I, well, I, I think it's supposed to. How they connect this up, I'm not sure. It's just, it's religiously done. It isn't scripturally done. They connect up the forty days of Christ being tempted in the wilderness, and and withstanding that temptation with the period of time before his death when he says let this cup pass from me you know they connect up those times and so you have this 40 days of self-denial they would say where you give up something for lent you know and i i would give up something like cottage cheese well i always thought this was related to the 40 days that jesus was on earth after his resurrection that they they gathered the 40 days from that they're putting the 40 days in the wrong place. place. If, I, I think it's actually the 40 days of temptation, but I, I could be wrong, but it's six weeks of self-examination reflection, they would say, 40-day fasting period. And so um, it starts it, it starts on a um, Wednesday, Ash Wednesday, where you take ashes in a church building and the priest or somebody puts a cross of ashes on your forehead and from ash wednesday on then for 40 days before easter you are supposed to live a period of of, of some self-denial resolve to give up something and so you choose your own religious fast in that sense and it's preceded in many churches with mardi gras which is Fat Tuesday. That's what that means. So Mardi Gras is a day of feasting and debauchery, oftentimes, immorality. So you can get that out of the way so you can then go into a period of mourning. It's so despicable to me, Gary. That's what they do with... you got to have your cake and eat it, too. In other words, you got to have all the debauchery plus the other stuff, too. So Lent, then, is a man-made uh, season of time, uh, Jerry, that people use to give up. Now, is there anything wrong with a Christian choosing for a particular period of time to fast or to not eat something or to deny themselves some pleasure that they enjoy as a private matter between them and the Lord? Anytime. There isn't a thing in the world wrong with that, and I'm not criticizing that at all. You agree with that, Gary? Yes. So uh, we, my wife and I have done this, various reasons of things we want to pray about or we're concerned about. So we'll, we'll fast and we, have, we, set our own, we set our own terms for the fast, for how long it's going to be and what kind of fast it's going to be because there's all different kinds. You can give up this or that or the other. Uh, and there's nothing wrong with doing that. Binding it on others or me as elders, me, Gary and I, decreeing that you must fast for a certain period of time and telling you what not to eat. I, I don't have any authority to do that. Now, we have asked when we were appointing other elders and deacons here to, to for the church to fast and pray about that. That was up to them what they did about that. But there's no set time from the New Testament for some kind of um, Lent. Now, the... Now, the, Pentecost, according to this article, yeah. oh, go ahead, Gary. Pentecost is different. Pentecost is in the Scripture. Well, it, yes, we it, haven't come it, to that right. yet. That, that's the one of the three that is in the Scripture, and it's the one that's probably the least observed, or the least understood. But there's two, from looking, I just looked something up here while I was talking. There's a religious website, gives general information about Lent, Gary, and it says there's 
the 40-day period of Lent is based on two episodes of spiritual testing in the Bible. The 40-year wilderness wandering of the Israelites after the exodus from Egypt and, and, and the, uh, in Deuteronomy and Numbers and the temptation of Jesus, Jesus after he spent 40 days wilderness. fasting in the wilderness. And so then there's these 40 days. So they have uh, that kind of thing. Now, well, 40 days does come up. He was also on the earth 40 days. After. Right, afterwards. So the, afterwards. There, the word 40 is a, signif a significant religious number. It's found in several places and obviously is important. But there is, um, I'm try I can't didn't see in this particular article, oh, here it is, that um, the first mention of a 40-day fasting of, period was, found in Nicaea in 325, but that's probably not very not a very widespread usage at that point in time. And some people then say that there was a practice of baptismal candidates, which the Bible doesn't use that phrase again, undergoing a 40-day period of fasting in preparation for their baptism at Easter. See, a lot of Christian denominations baptize people at Easter. Now, what's the Bible say about that? Well, they took the Philippian jailer in Acts 16. The same In night. the same hour of the night, it says. And when the Ethiopian eunuch was being taught by Philip there in the, as they traveled, he said, see, here's water in Acts 8. See, here's water. What hinders me from being baptized? And he said, Do you, if you believe with all your heart, you may. And he said, I believe that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, he went down the water and he baptized him right there. There was no waiting. Well, he didn't say, well, you know, if you come back at Easter time, we'll have a little celebration and you can do a 40 day period of fasting before, before Easter. Well, the urgency and then is, you can be baptized. The urgency is more explicit in Acts 22 when Paul is told, why tarriest thou? Right. Why are you tearing? Be baptized. Right. Rise and be, be baptized. baptized and wash, so, away, and wash I, away your sins. I never would advise someone to tarry until Easter to be baptized in some kind of a special ceremony. Why wouldn't I do that? Because I don't think baptism is important. No, I probably think baptism is more essential than the people that are telling you to wait. Well, I think that it needs to be, it's because the scriptures teach that baptism is something that should be done immediately well, it's, upon the, your belief in Christ. Scriptures teach it's a point at which God forgives your sins. And that's why it's so critical to do it then and not wait until uh, some this, special ceremony. Yeah, this this waiting is a product of a false doctrine that you are already saved based exactly essentially right. on your mental belief. And that's a false doctrine. It's not in the Bible. Right. So if, if you look at uh, Advent, that's the preparation for the coming of Christ and his birth. That's a period of time established by... Uh, religious tradition, not the Bible. And then there's Lent, which is a period of uh, fasting and self-denial preceding this man-made holiday of Easter as such, a yearly festival with various traditions around that. That's the 40 days ahead of that. And then there's the other word that, that Jerry questioned, the meaning of, is Pentecost. And Pentecost is something that's found in the scripture, because it was one of the feasts of the Jews, um, a feast of harvest time. Do, do you believe it's a Christian feast, though, Mike? 
I, I don't I don't find any reference Let's to Christians it, keeping a holiday in the New Testament of Pentecost. I don't I don't either. It's, yet it is some a feast of the of the Lord uh, in the Old Testament, and there's a historical Christian event that takes place at Pentecost, which is found in Acts chapter two. two yes, but there's it's not. Um, well, the reason I say that is I've run across a couple of sources that call it a Christian holiday, and I was wondering where that no, came it's from. Not, I don't believe it is at all. Uh, let me let me look something up to make sure I'm, I'm going to— Well, Acts chapter 2 opens with, uh, when the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord right. in one place. So it was something that, the, that during the time of Christ and before that time, that a festival was being kept in the city of Jerusalem at the temple— called Pentecost, it means 50 days. And so what you have then is, it's also called the Feast of Weeks. So you have Passover. Here are the, some of the feasts, and this is all found in Exodus, or in uh, Leviticus um, 23, I believe it is. Um, you have the Passover in the beginning of the Jewish year, in the month of Nisan, and then at the the Passover is accompanied together with an eight day feast of unleavened bread. So you have the Passover and the feast of unleavened bread. They they run right at the same time, and then you have a period of first fruits. Period of first fruits, and then the then the feast of Pentecost is fifty days later. So fifty days after Passover is the feast of Pentecost. So what you have then. You have a seven weeks of sevens or 49 days seven plus times, one. Yeah, that's right. Seven times seven plus one. Now, the way this worked out historically, it, it, Pentecost is not a, a yearly celebration found in the Bible as far as Christianity is concerned or the early church is concerned. It was simply an event that took place on the Jewish feast of Pentecost in the city of Jerusalem after Christ's uh, death and resurrection. So Christ was put to death at Passover in that year. Let's just call it uh, 33 A.D. I'm going to use that within plus or minus four or five years. Let's say he was put to death, though, for the sake of this, uh, this conversation in 33 A.D. And, and uh, at that Passover in Nisan, and then he was raised three days later during the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And then for, he spent 40 days on the earth, according to the scripture. Christ spent, there's that 40 again, right? Yeah. He spent 40 days on the earth teaching his disciples. And then after 40 days, he was taken up into heaven, ascended, and he told his disciples in Acts chapter 1, Go back to the city of Jerusalem and wait until you're imbued with power from on high, and I'll send you the I'll send the Holy Spirit. And so they went back to Jerusalem, and on the day of Pentecost, which was ten days later, the Holy mm -hmm. Spirit fell. That's what you referenced there in Acts right. chapter two. So there's the fifty days from the time of the Passover. And if I'm till if, if my time. source is correct, this year Pentecost will be on a Sunday. The 28th day of May. It's always on Sunday because that's right. what it means. It's seven times seven plus of one. weeks plus one. So it's always on the first day of the week. 
isn't that an interesting coinky dink <laughs> that the past that Jesus that Jesus sent the Holy Spirit and began to teach the apostle began to teach faith repentance and baptism and people were added to the church first on the first day of the week imagine that and it's sometimes called the feast of first fruits I think too in, well sometimes some, some sometimes would say that's called it. right but but that's what Pentecost is so Pentecost is a historical feast given in the Old Testament, the Feast of Weeks. It is a harvest festival, okay? And so you have this this event of God. What happened at Pentecost? Well, God took his, sent the Holy Spirit to preach to men of every nation under the earth. Now, they were Jewish men, but they were from every nation, and they took this gospel, began to take this gospel then to every nation. It's the beginning of the harvest. And they Just were, like Pentecost was a harvest festival. And they were all there in Jerusalem, probably in the temple on that day because of that feast. And so he opened up and began to preach to them. Right. So it's. And I, I don't think they were there. I think they were in the temple, Mike. I don't think they were running through the streets like it's been depicted on all these TV shows. No, they so were in the, in the temple, and it was only the Holy Spirit only fell on the 12. Right. Because the 12 began to speak in tongues, and they spoke in these languages. So, in any event, uh, yes, there, there, well, there's just no Bible instruction for the church to ever keep any kind of yearly festival called Pentecost. It's just that it happened then, just like the church doesn't keep the Passover even though Jesus' death occurred at the Passover time in Jerusalem. The Pentecost feast was going on, the Feast of Harvest. And we Christians don't understand or seem to quite, uh, maybe, the, maybe they don't in a general way, I think this is true in my experience, that the feasts of the Old Testament, and they were given by the Lord, were all, all had spiritual typological significance in the life of Christ and in the life of Christians. But they, they weren't just they, odd festivals. They, after a fashion, they pointed to Christ when he was when they were celebrating these feasts. So what he would do. It, it's interesting to me that after this first sermon was preached, look what the Jews said in verse 37 of Acts 2. He says, Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? And what was Peter's reply? Then Peter said to them, Repent, and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Christ Jesus for the rem- for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Okay. Well, we so, have another caller that wants to debate with us. Okay. About this, that sounds that sounds good. Laura, are you there? Uh, yes. Good morning, Mike. I, I'm sorry. I'm sorry I didn't see you, your call come in. I apologize for that. Go ahead. Oh, you're fine. Um, well, I was just looking up things while you were talking, and according to the Greek translation of Eucharist, it just means thanksgiving. Yes, it's... I don't see the harm in being thankful for taking communion with God. Well, I never said there was any harm in I, I What I said was that the Bible never calls communion the, the Eucharist. Now, Eucharista is used in the New Testament. This Greek word is used several times in the New Testament, and it often does mean to give thanks. It literally means good gift. The EU part of it is good in Greek, and then the charis part is gift or grace. And so, yes, it came to mean thanksgiving. There isn't anything wrong with being thankful. 
I'm saying all I'm saying is to make up a capital letter term Eucharist and apply that to the Lord's Supper or the communion is is going down the wrong road because the Holy Spirit didn't do that. If you have a, if you have a Bible name for something, if the Bible calls it the Lord's Supper, why don't we call it the Lord's Supper? It's a simple concept. That's what I'm saying. So I wasn't saying there's anything wrong with giving thanks for the Lord's Supper. Uh, I, I think people diminish the communion. Most denominations do not take it every first day of the week. They take it when the notion strikes them, and then they change the name of it. So that's all I'm saying. Why do that? I don't, I don't get the premise behind why change it. Why, change, why go away from what the Bible is showing you? That's the point I'm making. What do you think about that? Well, I mean, uh, I don't know. As one of the blessings in the Catholic Church is that we can receive communion every time we get together. And I don't think Jesus wanted anybody quibbling over words. Matter of fact, the Holy Spirit has checked me on that fact and many, many times. Well, I'm not quibbling over words. I'm I'm trying to make I'm trying to hold fast to the word. And when you begin to substitute one word for another that the Holy Spirit has given us, your words create concepts. It's like saying a mass versus an assembly. In the New Testament, the churches assembled together, but now we have in in, in the big churches a mass which is something administered by priests, which the New Testament never mentions as a special order of people, which is handed down from an authority figure like a priest. He dispenses the grace to the people. All those concepts are different than the New Testament concept of the church, the members of the church, the Christians assembling together as brothers and sisters and worshiping. That's a different concept. And the Change in words is what helps this concept take root. That's all I'm saying. So uh, use Bible names for Bible things. Now, uh, sometimes sometimes words are interchangeable. You know, they mean the same thing. And I'm not quibbling over words when they mean the same thing. I'm quibbling over concepts that words create or... or, uh, uh, show that are not the same as what's in the Bible. That's why I think it's we ought to be cautious about those Bible things. Well, I, what I would say, Mike, is... is I'm going to leave you with this thought. Okay. Do you remember when the disciples came back to Jesus and said, we saw other people casting out demons and healing the sick in your name, but they're not part of us. Do you remember what Jesus' response was? Well, yeah, he said, leave them alone. And so if I find people doing things in Jesus' name that Jesus said to do, I need to leave them alone. Um, and all, but all I can do as a teacher, what I'm trying to do as a teacher, is point people to what the Bible says, what the text says, not, not to what a tradition says or not to what some other man says. And so when they're not teaching in Jesus' name, if you're going to teach in Jesus' name, then you can't make up what you want to make up. You've got to teach what he says in his name. And that's what I'm, that's the point I'm trying to make. And I don't think that's done. And I, I'm not going to give, I don't think we should give approval to everybody that comes along who says, I'm teaching in Jesus' name. Well, we find warnings about this. I mean, John said in 1 John 4, 1, Beloved, 
try and test the spirits, whether they be of God, for many false prophets are gone out into the world. By that very passage alone, I know I have to be careful when I listen to people. First Corinthians four to see if they're actually teaching what the scriptures say. And First. that's why it's important to teach the words of the scripture in the way and use them in the way the scripture says. In, so I can be teaching in Jesus' name. That's what my point I would make. First Corinthians four six. Now these things, brethren, I have figuratively transferred to myself and Apollos for your sakes, that you may learn in us not to think beyond what is written. Right. Well, Laura, I really I appreciate that point, and I I I, I don't think I'm being nitpicky about this. I pro- maybe I am, or just uh, quibbling over words. The concepts that we're talking about here are pretty basic and essential, and um, I think that people need to at least accept the principles of using Bible words for Bible things and keeping it. Now, I pr- but I know this, I really do appreciate you uh, calling in to the show today very much, Laura. I don't, I don't think Laura's there anymore. I think I just got a note. But Laura, I do appreciate you calling in. And uh, you feel free to call any time. I really, I really thank you for that. And I thank you and Jerry and all the others who are listening. We've got two or three other texts today. Really appreciate you all listening to the show very much. Um, Gary, do you want to say more about this? Yeah, the only thing I came is we have to we have to look at what we really have to understand what people are really trying to say. And I agree that we shouldn't be attacking people or what they say until we really understand what they're trying to teach relative to what's in the scripture. But we have to be very guarded about the scripture because of things that Jesus said in, for, for example, Matthew 15, eight and nine, these people draw near to me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me in vain. They worship me teaching his doctrines, the commandments of men. We cannot teach the commandments of men and be pleasing to Jesus. No. Well, you take this idea of the, of uh, we, I call it, well, see, here's the thing about it. In truth, I must confess, Laura's on the phone anymore, that I don't believe that what the Catholic Church does with what they call the Eucharist is actually what the New Testament calls the Lord's Supper. It looks a little bit like it. But Paul is very specific with the Corinthians, for example, in 1 Corinthians 11, that even though they were coming together, they couldn't take the Lord's Supper because they weren't doing it properly. And he gave them instructions that they were to take bread based on what Jesus did, and bless it and give thanks, and, just, and all of them eat it. And then they took fruit of the vine and do it in the name and, and do it in remembrance of Christ's blood. He tells them the specific instructions about this. They were all doing this together as a body. And he even exhorts them in 1 Corinthians 10, just before this, that because they weren't doing it together and it wasn't done properly, it really wasn't uh, the communion because they were one bread, one body. Now, the Catholic Church doesn't call it the Lord's Supper as such. They call it the Eucharist for a reason. It's it's not the same thing. You you the you uh, well now may, they may some Catholic churches may have changed it, which it brings up a whole nother set of problems if they've altered it. But all of my time growing up, that the Catholic Church did not permit the regular Catholics to take the fruit of the vine. Only the priests took that. They would give the regular Catholics the bread, 
the priest would dispense the bread to the mouth. He wouldn't even let them touch it. They couldn't touch it because they were, you know, not the priest. And he would dispense it to their mouth and up at the altar. And and then they didn't even take the fruit of the vine. Now, Gary, that's <laughs> not what Paul said to do in First Corinthians 11. That it, that those customs about what they're calling the Eucharist there or the Mass or communion, whatever other words they're using, is not doing what Paul said to do through the commandment of the Lord in First Corinthians chapter 11. And, and for, for our and so, listeners, for our listeners, let's talk First Corinthians chapter 11, beginning in verse 17 and going through about uh, verse 30, roughly, okay? Go read that in a good translation. You'll see exactly what we're talking about. You'll see exactly who's to be yes. taking it. And he said, I got this from the Lord here. You right. need to do this. Now, that's not what's happening at a Catholic Mass. So when you say, well, the Catholic Church every week emphasizes the Eucharist, I believe they do. The question is, do they, do they keep the Lord's Supper? The question is, that's pretty doubtful because the Lord's, the, Paul never mentions a priest dispensing the Lord's Supper to some of, the, to some of you, and then the rest of you can't, the rest of you can't take the fruit of the vine. He, they all do it together, and they do it not because they're sacrificing Christ again, but they're doing it in remembrance of him. The Mass is a re-crucifixion of Christ. And, and what he says... That's what the Catholic Church teaches. It's a re-crucifixion of Christ, so you have the shedding of blood. And it's actual literal blood being shed there. And literally what he says, to all, he's written to all the Corinthians at Corinth, verse 24, as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. Right. So you can go back in history. You can see what times and dates and so forth, these different customs about what's now called the Eucharist or the Mass or the whatever came into being. And they were long after the New Testament. But we can go back because we can read and we understand the words. We can go back and recreate what Paul said to do through the Lord in First Corinthians 11. And we do that every first day of the week uh, here, here as closely as we can to that. It's a very simple thing. And we, so that's the reason why I don't think it's just nitpicking about words. We need to be cautious about wor the words we use and the doctrines that we teach. And yes, I know it's we should be not be quarrelsome and have foolish disputes about genealogies, Paul says later in the text. But that's not what's going on here. And I don't think that's the kind of criticism that I'd be leveling. I'm trying to teach people, and so Gary and I are trying to teach people, a principle of respecting the text of the Bible for what it says and not just creating your own religion over time. And because your forefathers did it, or because it sounds like a good idea to you, then you base your religion on what sounds like a good idea to you. That's not how it should be done. Well, and, and, and I, I can't advise anyone or teach anyone that that's the right way to go, even though I, I may be wrong about some of the things I say, of course, so but Gary, but I certainly would be wrong if I advised you that somehow it would be good to go ahead and make up your own thought process of how you should worship God, how you should obey him. And we saw the same thing about the teaching of baptism and delaying baptism until Easter and so forth, or these other holidays. Those are not just quibbles about words. Those are major differences in what the scriptures are saying based on major differences in understanding of how we should interpret them. So that's part of it. Now, I really do appreciate the call and um, uh, 
the disagreement is interesting. So I'm going to give it some more thought, but I appreciate you calling, Laura. Gary, you want to say anything more about this? Well, I think it's just a good idea to read, basically, Ephesians 3. Um, I'm going to start reading in verse 2. If indeed you have heard the dis- of the dispensation of the grace of God, which was given to me for you, Paul said, basically saying, I'm writing to you about what God gave me. Uh, how that by revelation he made known to us the mystery. In other words, he gave it to me by revelation, Paul is saying, as as I have briefly written already by which when you read, you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ. He's saying, I got this by revelation. I wrote it to you so that when you read it, you can understand what God said to me. Right. That's exactly what he's saying. Right. And we have to make make use of that that's what so that's requiring me to read it right the premise that i can understand and it, it and it was written for that purpose and it was given and, and that's how we receive the knowledge of god through what the apostles and the other inspired writers left us in the scriptures by reading what they say so it isn't a matter of uh, just making up our own words maybe i i, I don't want to beat this horse to death any more than we have, but maybe it'd be good just to go back, let's just go back and read what Paul did say in 1 Corinthians 11, since we referred to it a couple of times. Maybe let, let me just read the text. Okay. I was talking to someone the other day, someone called me on the phone, we were discussing something. And what verse are you going to start so I'm, we can I'll be prepared? Start. Verse 23 is where I was, I, we could start along, read the whole thing, but I just read, read the salient verses there, but uh, we were talking about studying the Bible and so forth and talking to other people about it. And I told them my experience has been over the years that the most effective things that I actually say to people is when we're sitting at a table discussing something and I turn my Bible around and we both read what the text says together. It's the words that are in the text that seem to have the biggest impact on people's hearts. And I'm even going to say this, Gary, although it has the biggest effect on the right people's hearts. Because the wrong people (laughs) don't respond to the text properly. They get either upset by it or they push it away. Maybe that's the response that God wants. He wants the word of God divides. It shows whether we're going to draw closer to him in obedience or whether we're going to push away and live by our own thoughts. The word of God is a sword that divides, and it and that that's what it did from the beginning when it said, "Let there be light," and light divided divided light from darkness. And so, when we read the text, well, when you, when that's you, where the most effective work happens, and that's true for me and you and everybody else. Well, people have often asked me why, how, and why did God harden Pharaoh's heart? And I'll be honest with you, Mike. When I see this, and I've seen exactly the same thing you're talking about, when they read the text, they either turn to it and accept it, or they reject it and throw it away. So what's hardening their heart? It's his word. Yes, that's and, done. and and it also clarifies things. So so when Paul says to these Corinthians here, verse 23, for I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you. God gave that Christ gave me this, and now I am essentially delivering it to you again. He's apparently said it before, it's past tense. It's amazing to me how often Paul says, I got this from the Lord. I didn't right. I didn't make this up. This is this right. came from him. 
that the Lord Jesus, on the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat, this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. So he's telling them what Jesus did. Then he's saying, Jesus said, You do this, all his disciples. In the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread, now Paul adds, for as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you you should proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. Whoever eats and drinks this bread, uh, whoever eats this bread and drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. So he's, Paul says here very plainly that there was a time, there is a time for Christians, and it's shown later to be the first day of the week, which they're to take bread, and all of them are to eat it in remembrance of Christ. They are to take through the vine or the cup. All of them are to drink it, and they are to do so in remembrance of the, of the blood of Christ and the new covenant. Now, this is, and when they do this, they do it in remembrance of him. This is the whole, this is the Lord's Supper. Now, when you take those words there and you compare then what happens at a Catholic Mass, for example, I'm not trying just to pick on them, but that's what the call is about, and that's the the big example, Eucharist. They don't match. That's my point. They don't match up. And you can say, well, in this century, in this century, this council said this, and we think it's a good idea to change the name to this, and, and we think it's a good idea that the people don't take the, the bread, that's uh, the fruit of the vine, I mean, that's only for the priest. And you can have all of these things that you say about it. But in the end, it doesn't match this. Now, there's lots of ways to actually do these words, different processes. You can have one cup or many cups. You can, have, you know, you can do all kinds of things with this that don't, that don't change what's happening. But what's taking place in a lot of denominations doesn't match this, and the reasons don't match it. And so all I'm saying is, if the Bible calls it a, the Lord's Supper, the Bible calls it a communion of the body and blood of Christ, I'm content I'm content to not only to believe, but to teach that and to do that very thing, nothing else, and uh, stand there. And I, I, I don't know how that can be uh, problematic to people, but it is apparently. Because uh, now, if people come along and say, Gary, people come along and say, well, I know it says this. What's the next word they always say? I know, I know the Bible says this, but, but then they give you something else. Now you're going to have to decide what you think about that. Or the other, the other thing. Decide when somebody gives you the. I know the Bible says this, and they say, but you got you got to think about what you're going to say. Think about all the rest of it. I'm just trying to warn you: be careful what you think about all the rest of what they add to it. Or the favorite phrase, but that was for then. This is now. That's that's one of the favorites. So you got all those kind of things. We we believe that you can take these words from this century here, the first century. You can bring them into the 21st century. You don't have to change them or alter them. You can respect them and so forth. Now, what? here's the problem, and I think Laura's expressing this problem because she, uh, I, I think Laura's called her before, she's a sensitive, thoughtful person. 
and she cares about these things, which is extremely admirable that she cares about these things and they mean a lot to her. And she obviously is trying to practice what she thinks of these words say. She's obviously trying to practice that, which I admire and and uh, certainly don't condemn at all. But but they do. But when you take the words the way they read here, it obviously will uh, not match up with what some people are doing. People that we like, people that we find to be friendly, people that we find that that that, that apparently love the Lord. It doesn't match up with what they're doing or believing, and so we we want to make an excuse for that. We want to. Uh, slide that away because it doesn't match up with these nice people that we know that are doing devout things. Be careful about that. You can get, be led down a wrong path by being moved by whether people like what you're saying or don't or like the words or don't or whether they're nice or not. You know, me being nice doesn't mean that what I'm not telling you is the truth. It doesn't mean what I'm telling you is the truth. That is such a modern concept that somehow uh, that because people's feelings get hurt by something, it changes the truth of it. I think a lot of people today, and I know that I know that political progressives believe this, uh, or they act this way anyway. That the fact that some people are upset by certain words or ideas means that those ideas are untrue, that they really aren't true, because the truth isn't truth. It's only true in the sense of whether people like it or not, or whether people are hurt by it or not. But we all know in reality that whether I am hurt by something or not hurt by it doesn't mean it's not true. I've told you a story before. This fellow I knew that was uh, guilty of molesting children. And in our conversations, me trying to not trying just to condemn this person, trying to actually I, I believe I can honestly say I was trying to help him to come to grips with this and do something right about it. I called him a child molester, and he got very angry with me because he said, that hurts, that, you know, you, you shouldn't call me that. I love children, and it really illustrated the point. I tried to say, well, okay, that hurts, and it, it should hurt because you are guilty, and it should hurt. And you need to change. That's the whole point I'm making. But if we just say, well, he hurt, I hurt his feelings, it, that didn't change what he had done one way or the other. The fact that I hurt his feelings. And we, can we not see that? We can see that's obvious. So, but, and, but we want to do this a lot of times with other, other teaching, other religious ideas, that since some people are doing something and they're nice people and we love them, um, then that means that they must be doing the correct thing. I don't believe that. I don't believe it about myself, my loved ones, or anything else. I don't think whether you think I'm a nice guy or a bad guy, that doesn't mean what I'm saying is true or false, either one of those things. That's a hard fact to come to grips with. Jesus said in reference to the Father, sanctify them with your truth. Your word is truth. And that's what I'm saying is when, when we're confronted with God's word, you, it's like you said, it divides. It makes us decide. We have to make a decision. Spain. Now, and we have to practice the truth in love, right? Isn't that what the scriptures say? Yes. We, we, and now then, once we've determined the truth or are on the process of, of trying to understand determine truth, we must practice, as Paul says in Ephesians chapter 4, speaking truth in love. So what this must be done. Now, love does not mean 
warm, kindly affection always to everyone. Sometimes the loving thing to do is to rebuke. So I was doing a loving thing when I was dealing with this fellow face to face there in that facility, telling him that he stood condemned and he needed to repent and enumerating the reasons why he ought to change and rethink his behavior, acknowledge it and rethink it. I was doing a very loving thing. It was not pleasant in any way, shape or form. It was unpleasant to everybody to, that was sitting there. To both of you. To both of me. I would I, I've thought about that. I I bet you I suffered more almost more with those with that than he has. Uh, he's not here anymore, but but the point is it was love. It was an attempt to do to help in the way that God what was in his best interest was for him to face the truth and to repent. And I hope that if I do something like that or if I'm wrong, I hope that some of you folks love me enough to say, Mike, get off your high horse and think about this. You're better than this. Repent. Think. I hope some of you love me enough to do that and not just pat me on the back and say, well, he's a nice guy. He intends well. He didn't mean that. We're all Christians. Why can't we all just love each other? Um, that kind of thing will never get us anywhere in the long run with truth. Well, is it love to let a blind man stumble around and fall in a ditch? Right. Um, and basically, Jesus says, every plant which my heavenly Father hath not planted will be uprooted. Let right. them alone. There's another, let them alone. They are blind leaders of the blind, and if, they bl if the blind lead the blind, both will fall into the ditch. Right. Now, th now then, to be fair on the other side, there is this passage that love covers a multitude of sins. sins. And that's absolutely true. That there are many things that when I have, when I'm looking at the best interest of someone else, which is what love is, always seeking their best interest at the expense of my own, my own benefit. That sometimes love will cover that, meaning that I, my love will be able to forgive and uh, and not hold accountable for things that have been done to me or others, and it will it will overlook those faults in order to bring about a healing. Well, well that, and so yes, there is that. But but yeah, the that, idea of loving a false teacher so that you overlook his teaching, yeah, I don't find that in the Bible at all. Well, it's it's the fact that you know, love covering a multitude of sins relates to I think more to individuals in that we can sin against each other, but when we sin against God and it's in direct violation of the scriptures, that's a different situation. Well, we have choices to how we deal with sin against ourselves or, right. or slights or faults. And, and sometimes we need to be, uh, you know, merciful. Mercy implies that there's guilt, but you're you're going to use mercy. Other times you don't. Sometimes sometimes using mercy would be the wrong thing to do. But in any event, yes, we understand this truth must be spoken in love, but... Uh, but I can't love say. without truth is not is er, is error is going to always lead you down the wrong path. Love without truth. Uh, in any event, we have a couple minutes left here, uh, um, two or three minutes left. I do appreciate the callers we've had today and a couple of texts. I'm, I hope I haven't missed too many texts. Seems like I missed uh, um, the text that Laura was on the phone. I hope she didn't have to wait too long. And if, if I did, I, I apologize. You know, there's. Um, well, that's the, one of the problems, Mike, okay. that we have. It, the gospel message, I believe, that comes from God to us 
and is pointed to us individually to control our lives so that we behave ourselves in the way that God intended us to requires judgments to be made. And we have to understand the precepts upon which those judgments are made. And sometimes that's difficult. Sometimes those choices are not always clear, um, but we continue to learn. I'll tell you, at least in my own experience, when I first became a Christian, I, I didn't know how to make a lot of those choices, and I made some wrong choices. But as I learned the precepts that God gives us in terms of what we're talking about love and also about his truth and his word, it becomes more evident to me how those choices need to be made. That requires judgment, it requires maturity, and it requires time, and it requires study of God's Word, and that's all I can say about it. Mm-hmm. And and we may not all on this earth ever dis- agree completely about some of the details of oh, those choices. Oh, I doubt that that's true. We can't possibly do that, but we, we can agree with the principles and so forth. You know, the biggest thing, and I've said this before in other contexts, that, that divides people it keeps people divided this probably goes beyond religion but i know it works in in religious things the the big problem there is the perceptions we have of how other people uh react to god or feel about god and his authority especially as reflected in the bible in uh, in most churches church situations People can disagree about individual issues as long as there's a fundamental belief that the other party, the other side, as it were, has a respect for the word of God and is will listen to that. They can usually get along and function as a group together. When one or both sides of the disagreement come to the belief that the other side no longer respects the Bible or the authority of God, then there's going to be a split or a division. Can't almost can't help it to be. This is kind of true in marriage. Uh, you know, when when you lose faith that your partner uh, cares about you and so forth, you you can't stay together. So uh, you you even take uh, the situation you have now about not gay marriage and all that kind of stuff going on in some of these major denominations. I think what's happened among the Episcopalians and and some of the Methodists and so forth, Presbyterians, is that these two sides, that the more conservative side has lost faith that the progressive side of this debate actually will respond to the Bible. They're not giving biblical arguments any longer. They're just defending what they do based on some political rhetoric or personal rhetoric about these issues, and so there's a division. Well, that's why we keep saying, trust the Bible, show you trust it. One last quick comment, Gary. Pride, has, wrap the show pride up. has a lot to do with this. Yes, it does. It, yes, it, it, does. it can get in the way every time. Well, listen, thank you for listening to the show today. We really appreciate it, wherever you're listening, whether it's on the Internet or live or by recording, and uh, we'd love to hear from you. We'd also like to invite you to uh, um, attend worship with us. We meet at 2196 Southwest Savona Boulevard here in Port St. Lucie the corner of California and Savona behind the little shopping center on the southwest corner. We're just an ordinary group of Christians trying to follow the word of God explicitly as best we can. We don't, we're not going to, if you come and visit, we're not going to ask you for money. We're not going to embarrass you. 
We just want you to come ready to learn from the Bible, and we appreciate that very much. So you come and be with us, 2196 Southwest Savona, 10 o'clock this morning, 11 for our Bible study, 7.30 on Wednesday night. And take a look at our website, which is wearejustchristians.com. Wearejustchristians.com. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week. God bless you. You've been listening to We Are Just Christians live from Savona Church on WPSL Port St. Lucie.